0: Hello, welcome. Have you ever received a love letter? I have. I'm sure a lot of people hold on to their love letters as I did. I held on to mine for years and recently took them out of storage and then had the urge to read them again. I guess some people might think it's a bit weird or even unhealthy holding on to love letters from your ex. Love letters are memories of good times and happy moments. But some people say we should get rid of them because by holding on to them, we're tying ourselves to something that's no longer part of our lives. And especially if we're dating someone new, Wouldn't it be inconsiderate to our new partners if we were still holding on to letters from someone we once had sentimental feelings for? It was a long time since I first read my love letters. Reading through the translated versions now, I was quite touched by the wisdom and the sincerity that the writer expressed in the letters, and this was something I didn't appreciate at the time when I first received them. In this podcast series, I'm going to share those letters with you. I think they give an interesting voice and insight into a young man's mind and heart and reveal the fears and anguish he faced about the relationship and about life in general. But it's not just his words you'll hear. I'll share my thoughts too. I'll give you my take on the relationship and reveal some stuff about me and about my sexuality. It goes without saying that the opinions you'll hear are mine alone. Of course you don't have to agree with some of what I say, and that's fine. I'm simply conveying my personal experience and opinions. Maybe some of you will relate to the things I say, regardless of your cultural background or sexual orientation but I hope this podcast series will be of interest to a wide range of people and also provide enlightenment to those who are exploring their sexual identity, especially from a black perspective. So, let's get into it. Like I said, this story began many years ago. In fact, almost 30 years. So we're talking about the 90s. So if you're too young to remember... I'll paint a picture of what life was like in the 1990s. Our story begins in Britain. So, what was happening in Britain in 1990? Well, there was a heatwave that year, and it went up to a temperature of 37.1 degrees Celsius. Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister. And can you believe that less than 1% of the UK population had internet access in 1990? Wow! And finally, the Channel Tunnel was still under construction, but workers from the UK and France met 40 metres beneath the seabed and shook hands, which was pretty cool. This episode focuses on me and my backstory. But before we begin... I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that people come into our lives for a reason? I'll ask it again. Do you think that people come into our lives for a reason? Hold on to that question and I'll come back to it later. Have you ever watched Coronation Street? It's the oldest TV soap opera in the world. The TV series is set in Northern England, which is where I grew up. Here's my story. I lived in a working-class town, and at age 20, I was still living with my parents. I wasn't especially religious, but I did come from a God-fearing family. A religious upbringing was, and still is, very important to many black families in the UK. In those days, I kept a decent company of friends. I held a secure job in the council, I didn't loiter in the streets, a lot of kids used to hang outside McDonald's for some reason, and, contrary to what the police thought about young black men, I had never seen or touched any drugs. In fact, if you put marijuana in front of my face, I would have added it to salad thinking it was seasoning. (laughs) That's how innocent I was. Some people would say I was a confident and charismatic young man. People seemed attracted to my positive and sometimes comedic energy. I was single. I did have girlfriends. Honest, I did. In fact, My last girlfriend emigrated to Canada in the same year. Not because of me, though. But, as I alluded to at the start of this podcast, I did have one unconventional streak, and that was my curious attraction to the same sex. And by 1990, I'd already acted on this impulse twice. I'll quickly tell you about them. My first time was with a guy I met at a club in London. I'd been to a few gay clubs before that, but I'd never gone off with anyone. But this time I decided that tonight was the night I was going to go with a guy. In fact, I was prepared to go with any guy who approached me, just so that I could find out whether or not I was really attracted to men. This was a big step for me and so required the assistance of a lot of alcohol. Within half an hour of entering the small club, I drank several shots of vodka and then staggered back to my hotel room with a stranger. He was about five years older than me, blonde, rugby build, and a little shorter than me. I recall he had facial hair I remember feeling his prickly beard on my skin, which was a new experience for me. I didn't tell him that I'd never had sex with a man before, but then he did comment on the fact that I seemed inexperienced. How embarrassing. What I recall most about that night was that I didn't enjoy it. No, I didn't. It started off okay, the blonde guy with me was nice enough. But it was my first experience with a guy, so it was kind of awkward. Plus, the guy had an off-putting fetish. I won't go into detail except to say it left me feeling, and I hate to say it, repulsed. It was a pretty eye-opening first experience. In fact, at the end of it, I was convinced that because I didn't enjoy the experience and that nothing happened for me, I most definitely was completely straight. Actually, I was quite relieved, if you pardon the pun. Do you remember your first gay sexual experience? Anyway, for the next few months, I continued with my life as a quote-unquote straight man for at least another couple of years, until an unexpected opportunity led to my second sexual encounter with a guy. I'm at an Erasure concert with a female friend. Erasure was a popular British band in the 90s with an openly gay lead singer. I was surprised to see a lot of gay men in the audience. What's more, the show was flamboyant and a bit homoerotic. I found it quite exciting. Throw alcohol into the mix, and it was no surprise that when the concert finished, I found myself cruising outside a gay nightclub. And this led to a quick and anonymous sexual encounter with a handsome, dark-haired young man. He told me that he had a boyfriend. Yes, he was cheating on his boyfriend with me. Afterwards, he gave me his phone number and said he wanted to see me again. Of course, I agreed I'd call him, but I knew there was no chance of me following through on that promise. Cheating on his boyfriend? I didn't want to be a part of that. I actually set two records that night. Firstly, it was my first ever outdoor sexual experience. And secondly, it was the first time I went all the way with a man. Well, at least, I think I did. Actually, I can't remember. Cheers to alcohol and erasure. Let's talk about France. France. For as long as I can remember, I've always had an interest in French culture. Maybe it was because of their films, fashion, cuisine, art and architecture. I can't put my finger on one thing exactly. France has a rich artistic and cultural heritage, and they really do embrace style and sophistication. We all know that Paris is home to many high-end fashion houses, in fact, very few couture labels can match the might of Chanel, Dior, or Saint Laurent. And art is everywhere in Paris. Many of history's most renowned artists sought inspiration in the city. The French have long dominated the visual art scene. Their aesthetic sensibility is iconic, from the National Republic symbol of the Marianne to the tri-coloured blue, white and red flag of France. There's also the Eiffel Tower, the kissing couples in the street, screen sirens like Bardot and Deneuve, the uniquely shaped Citroën DS, the classic Louis Vuitton bags. The list is endless. What's not to like about France? Back then I was at an impressionable young age and captivated by the iconic images of Grace Jones, created by French artist Jean-Paul Goude. And I marveled at the Art Deco posters promoting the theatrical shows of American-born French performer Josephine Baker. They used clever stylistic elements like Expressionism and Cubism, which I found inspiring. And when it came to music, my audio cassette tape collection included the likes of Jane Birkin and Edith Piaf. I was also entranced by the French films of the period, the sexy Beatrice Dal in Betty Blue, and the period dramas Jean de Florey and Manon des Sources. So, when I decided to go to night school to learn another language, not surprisingly, it was French that I chose. Paris was in stark contrast to the town where I grew up, a small and somewhat benign working class town which offered limited opportunities to fuel the dreams of an aspiring, cultured young man. I spent much of my adolescence going to reggae dance clubs and dance hall parties, trying to be someone that I was not. I hated going to those places. But The alternative was to go to a white-owned club. And we all knew back then the nightclubs had a quota for the number of blacks they allowed into their venues. That was the reality of being black in 1990s Britain. Plus, it was a period of racial tension and discrimination which bred insecurities in the minds of many black people. When it came to holidays, back then... My friends chose foreign resorts where they could binge on alcohol and sex all day and then sleep it off on the beach the following afternoon and then repeat it all over again the next day. That was the typical holiday for many young Brits. But I have to say it was not the type of holiday that appealed to me. Call me pretentious but I would have much rather taken a stroll through a European city, strolling through museums and marvelling at beautiful architecture. Or maybe enjoying a freshly brewed espresso in an elegant cafe, discussing films and speaking a foreign language. That was the sort of lifestyle and holiday I aspired to. But... My working-class life dictated a more down-to-earth reality. I did office work in the council and lived in the unglamorous and often overcast far north of England. My friends were not artistic types or even university graduates and so didn't aspire to my dream lifestyle. They were ordinary working-class folk that just wanted to get wasted in a hotel room, have lots of sex, and roll drunk in a public square of some cheap European resort. Not my idea of fun. I know I was obviously very boring. Sadly, I didn't know anyone who shared my dream, nor did I ever have the courage to go it alone in Europe. So, while my friends were vomiting in the streets of Benidorm, I would instead take the train down to London and experience the cultural delights of the capital what a nerd but every cloud has a silver lining and my dream would be no exception because I did make it to France eventually but I'll tell you more about that later first Let me explain how it came about that I made the decision to go to France. To do that, I'll need to tell you about a girl called Josephine. One of the things I should tell you about myself is that I'm a magnet for weird or unusual people. Seriously, if there's a misfit or a strange person in the workplace, The chances are, I'll eventually become their friend. It wasn't that I took pity on them. It was probably because I'm drawn to unique individuals, those who have an odd interest or behave outside of the norm, such as creatives, nerds even, bohemians, new age, free spirits. Call them what you like, they're a breath of fresh air for me. As I mentioned, I worked in the council. A quirky new temp had just started working in our department. This was Josephine. Josephine spoke very eloquently and wore clothes befitting of an old woman. Loose skirts, oversized knitted sweaters that looked handmade, hair tied back, thick lens eyeglasses and sometimes a scarf around her neck. And she was only in her twenties! People joked that maybe she was borrowing her grandmother's clothes. In the office canteen, I noticed she always sat alone. So one day, I joined her at the dinner table. This led to several encounters where we'd sit together for lunch. At one of our lunches, Josephine revealed to me that she'd recently returned from a tour of Europe. I was surprised. I didn't expect her to tell me she toured Europe. Blackpool, maybe, but not Europe. In case you didn't know, Blackpool is a popular working-class resort by the seaside in the north of England. Josephine then went on to tell me that she did the tour by herself. I found it hard to reconcile that this apparent dull-looking young lady, had voyaged across the English Channel and visited the magnificent cities of Europe and all by herself. I was fascinated. Josephine explained that she travelled on a tour bus with other tourists. The bus would stop in different European towns and cities and the tour group would stay overnight in hotels. A few days later, Josephine brought in a photo album of her trip. In the album, there were lots of smiling faces of her posing with the friends she had met on the trip. And they were all pensioners. There she was, posing with Betty and Arthur in front of a windmill in Amsterdam, and another with 80-year-old Ernest pretending he was supporting the Leaning Tower of Pisa with his one finger. I couldn't believe it. Here was Josephine, living her life and creating lots of beautiful and real moments in Europe, albeit with a coachload of pensioners. She didn't have a travel companion, but that didn't stop her from making the trip abroad and living her dream. She opened my eyes. I too could travel to Europe by myself, just like her. Who needs a travel companion? I was so inspired by Josephine's holiday tales that I decided that I too was going to take the journey to Europe alone. And Paris seemed the most likely destination. After all, it's close to Britain so it shouldn't cost me much to get there. Plus, I was already learning French and it would be fun to try it out in France. But. A young black man travelling with a coachload of old fogies? That was far too free-spirited for me. However, a three-night package holiday, including flight and accommodation, could work out rather nicely. So that's what I decided to do. Within a week, I went to a travel agent and booked a flight to Paris for a three-night vacation, departing in less than a fortnight. And this was all thanks to a lesser-known temp in the office, Josephine. Josephine didn't stay in the council for long. In fact, she disappeared just as quickly as she had appeared. So sadly, I wasn't able to give her my news about going to Paris. Over the years, I've thought about Josephine and the other people I've met in my life who've unintentionally said something to me that has changed the course of my life or made a big impact on me in some way. And those same people are mostly oblivious to the life-changing shifts and transformations that have resulted from their spoken words. I don't know where Josephine is in her life right now, or even whether she's still alive. For all I know, She could be living with five cats in a shack on the Pitcairn Islands. But I'd prefer to imagine that an older and wiser Josephine is right now travelling on a tour bus and befriending a free-spirited young man who's sitting alone on the same bus surrounded by a bunch of wonderful pensioners. I hope Josephine is having a great life If only she knew how much she had inspired me to take destiny into my own hands. Because that trip to Paris would change my life forever. So what do you think of the story so far? Rubbish? We touched on a few topics in that introduction. You heard about my first gay sexual experience with a guy who had a particular sexual fetish. I also talked about infidelity. Remember the guy cheating on his partner? Have you ever cheated on your partner? You don't need to answer that. I asked you a question at the beginning of the show. Who have been the most influential people in your life? And do you think that people come into our lives for a reason, just like Josephine came into mine? Every day, we cross paths and interact with people we may never see again. And we never truly know how these encounters will affect us or change the direction of our lives. These mysterious moments seem to arrive at precisely the right place and time in our lives. Simple things like a kind word from a stranger or a laugh with a person seated next to us on the bus can be just what we need. No matter how casual or in-depth our conversation, there may be a reason why we were in the same place at the same time. And I think that this was probably the case with Josephine, maybe we were destined to meet. I'm sure we can all think of a few people who've touched our lives, but do we give them credit? We should take some time to think of these special people and be thankful that we met them. And don't forget, there are special people out there who we haven't even met yet. And what about overcoming fear and stepping outside of our comfort zone? As I explained to my story, I was initially afraid to travel to Europe by myself, and that had a lot to do with me being stuck in a comfort rut. Why change anything when I had my friends, family and work all around me? All the familiar comforts that made me feel safe and secure. Familiarity might keep us safe, but sometimes it leaves us stuck and stagnant most people are quite content to go through life without taking any risks, just in case life doesn't go the way they'd hoped. To live an exciting future requires us to step outside of our comfort bubble in order to create a whole new meaning to our lives. I know it's easier said than done, but we should be willing to take risks, whether big or small, and gradually move in the direction of our dreams. When we take responsibility for our own lives, unexpected events could unfold that bring new opportunities and excitement. So, if there's something you're thinking about doing, but are too afraid, my advice to you is to move out of your comfort zone, try something new, and then watch the magic begin. That's the philosophical part of the show over with. And it's also the end of this first episode. We're getting closer to hearing the love letters. So let's meet up again for episode two, when I'll tell you all about my first trip to Paris. And just before I leave you, I just want to say that remember, the next time you have an interaction with someone who inspires you, hold on to that. There could be a purpose. Enjoy the possibility that you both may have met for the right reasons at exactly the right time. Catch you soon.